Um, well, the people that know me know that I love sports, uh, and especially since I grew up in the U.S., I love American sports. Uh, that's what I gravitate towards, and in particular, I love basketball. I've played basketball since I was uh, in grade four. <laughs> exactly. But um, and I also I love watching all these things. I, probably have wasted hours and hours of my life, but I love watching stuff. And particularly, I love watching the NBA, which is, makes it a great time of year for me right now because the NBA finals are going on. Uh, Denver, where my parents live, they're up 3-1, and so, uh, so it's all, all good. Now, now when I, um, because I've been watching for over four decades, um, I noticed the ways that uh, commentators, the ways it changes the way they talk about the game, but also the ways that it stays the same. And, um, and one of the things that has stayed the same is, uh, is they talk very often about which team is going to, and they use this phrase, impose their will impose their will on the other team. And, and that's the team that's going to come out uh, ahead. It's the team that's going to impose their will. They talk about it with, uh, in terms of raw power. And that's why it's kind of ironic that, uh, that the best player in the world right now is a guy from Serbia who, uh, who doesn't, jump very or doesn't jump very high, doesn't run very fast. Um, he's big. But, um, but he doesn't look particularly athletic uh, or muscular or that's, there's Jordan, that's imposing his will. Um, next slide. Uh, that is, uh, his name is Nikola Jokic. Um, and, uh, and while he's big, he doesn't, like I say, look particularly muscular or athletic. Um, he doesn't lead the league in scoring and rebound, although, rebounding, although he is among the leaders in, in, that, in those areas. But he understands how to facilitate team basketball better than anybody I've seen since Magic Johnson in the 80s. Like, it's just phenomenal. He understands how the overall game is played. And he's become almost unanimously the best player in the world, not by, you know, the power way of imposing his will, but by facilitating for his teammates to be able to succeed. He always talks about one of his teammates as the team leader and the best player on their team, but he's the only one that thinks that. He's clearly the best, uh, the best player. Um, and it just feels different than imposing your will. It feels more like cultivating a beautiful garden <laughs> or, or something along like that, but it's likely going to win them the championship tomorrow night. It's a different way of thinking about power. We are people who easily get seduced by power. Uh, power dynamics lie at the root of so much that is unhealthy about relationships and about organizations uh, in a lot of unhealthy churches as well, right? Uh, one of the things that the last five years, I think, have revealed about us is that we as human beings will gravitate towards power to try to force what we want when the stress level gets high enough. And I think that's fair to say on all sides. And it continues at local levels, at provincial levels, at national levels, and, and so on, right? Uh, and I don't think it's, it's controversial to say that, that we want to have power, and we often interpret real power as being able to impose our will, right? Uh, in being able to top the others, and being able to say that what we poured our lives and thoughts and efforts into was really the important thing all along. And that's not new. 
There have always been things to compete over. There have always been power dynamics that generate conflict. And, uh, and in our passage today, we, we come across an example of that. You know, as a congregation, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and we're in chapter 3. And, uh, and in the passage that we're in today, it begins with a bunch of dudes that look like they're having some kind of a theological debate over some minutia or whatever, right? Um, but as so often is the case, there's way more under the surface that has to do with power and ego and such. And so look at it with me, if you will, in uh, John chapter 3, verse 22. If you've got a device and, uh, and that has the Bible on it, or if you're old school and actually brought a paper Bible, God bless you. Um, but, uh, but John chapter 3, starting in verse 22, and, and we'll be looking at that passage this morning. Here's what John, uh, the, the writer, gospel writer John Right. He says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. So Jesus was baptizing with his disciples, right? Uh, now John, the Baptist, uh, was also baptizing at Aenean near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison, John the writer tells us. Um, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew, which maybe was the author, uh, right? Uh, maybe a way of, John, of the, uh, John referring to himself. But it's between some of John the Baptist's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Everyone's going to him. And so, as I said, on the surface, it begins, uh, it purports to be a theological argument, something to do with ceremonial washing. Now, Judaism had all kinds of ceremonial washings, washings and uh, the Pharisees had added even more on top of that. Uh, but the context would lead us to believe that it had something to do with baptism. But, but John doesn't get into the details of what that argument was about because the argument was not the point. The argument was not the point. It was about something else. It was about something to do with power, with us versus them, right? Um, and this is often true in arguments. It's not always what the argument is about. There's sometimes something very personal underneath the surface, um, even, especially sometimes the arguments that seem most bizarre. I, I shared a story, this story at Mission Heights a couple of years ago, but I'm going to share it again uh, now, one of my formative experiences in ministry uh, was at a little church down in Calgary called Ross Carrick Church of Christ. Uh, it was a very tiny church. For us to have 30 people on a Sunday was a fantastic Sunday uh, for uh, so I was, I was part-time there and, and working in another job as well. Um, but the thing about a, a church that's that small is sometimes very strong personalities can come to have inordinate uh, power in the congregation. And one particular member in the church had for decades had a very strong voice, uh, very strong personality, and held a good pit of power in that little small pond uh, of the church, right? By the time we got there, uh, she was elderly, uh, less influential than she had been, but she still had a strong voice. Her name was Claire. And, uh, and one night, we were having a board meeting, which 
at a church that size almost constitutes a congregational meeting. But, uh, but at any rate, we were at a board meeting and, uh, and we were considering some of the next steps that we were going to be taking with regard to reaching out as a congregation because we were small and, and we, uh, we needed to grow, right? And so we had started to take steps in our community and in different kinds of ways. And, uh, and so we were, we were kind of um, mulling that around and, and, um, and trying to figure out what would be next. And Claire spoke up and said this. She said... Well, I think we've been doing too much for the community. I think we should do a little more for ourselves. Amen. <laughs> Inside, I almost came unglued because uh, I thought to myself, we are this tiny little church, and there's a reason we're a tiny little church because we've all we've been doing stuff for ourselves for decades. Nearly every member of that church had been there for 10 years or more, which meant we were terrible at outreach, right? Um, and, and you think we ought to do more for ourselves, but perhaps the Spirit of God grabbed my tongue just in time because instead of reacting with how I was feeling inside, I asked a sincere question. I said, why do you feel that way, Claire? And I do not remember how she answered initially, but everyone in the room, including Claire, had the grace and maturity uh, some of us, that took a little more than others. <laughs> but I had the grace and maturity to, to stick with the conversation. And here's what we discovered. Our recent outreach efforts had taken place outdoors so that we were on kind of the corner of two streets. And, um, and Claire was at an age and at a physical condition that made it difficult for her to move and to be in kind of different um, locations. She usually made her way around in a wheelchair, although she could get around with a walker, but, but it was painful and slow for her. And in a nutshell, the outreach events that we had 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 her sitting at a lot of times on uneven ground and off balance, and it was uncomfortable, perhaps painful, and probably frightening for our older sister there. And the truth was is that Claire desperately, desperately wanted to be involved in what the church was doing. She had poured her life into this church in her own way, right? It had been central for her, but she had fears and discomforts that lay underneath her reaction and her response, and her concerns were legitimate for her, right? I'll always be thankful for the wisdom in that room, a greater wisdom than I had, um, that, uh, that allowed us not to immediately categorize Claire as being against the mission of the church. Instead, we were able to hear her concern. People in that room were inclined to give her a generous hearing, right? Uh, to interpret generously what her words were saying that on the surface were absolutely wrong. Um, but they were, they were kind of a mask for her insecurities, right? Uh, for her weakness, for her vulnerability, for her fears. Claire honestly probably would have been more content to stick with her own people that she'd known for decades, right? Um, but wise people in that room were able to not leave her behind in care uh, and even to retain, allow her to retain her voice even while continuing to move forward in the mission. It was beautiful. Truth be told, we are all Claire's sometimes. I am. So are you. And there just might be ways in which Claire is more, was more self-aware than sometimes we are. Perhaps more self-aware than, than I am or, or that you are, right? The subject of the argument in this text is not actually the real concern, right? Yeah, I'm sure that they enjoyed arguing over the uh, minutiae of whatever aspect of ceremonial washing that they were talking about. Um, but it was more about 
power, right? It was more tribal. It was more us versus them. More about the numbers of people that, which usually means um, some level of, of power, right? The group, their group is bigger than our group. And people that used to be in our group are now going over to their group because their leader is more charismatic or, or, or whatever. Their children's program is glitzier or, or whatever. And, um, and John's guys were for sure concerned for their guy. But likely they had a personal stake in it because there's, there's status and influence that comes with kind of being in the inner circle of, of the big thing or the hot thing or the growing thing, right? Uh, and so in an argument, for sure they were concerned about some theological matters, but when they got back to their own group, the real concern came out. Their group was losing out to the other group. And it stinks to feel like a loser, right? Well, another gospel... Jesus says that there was no one born of woman greater than John the Baptist. And, uh, and John's faithful character was on full display as he responded to these guys. He heard them out. He understood where they were coming from. But he had the humility to look beyond himself to the influence, um, at, beyond his own influence to the bigger concept of what God was doing in their midst. We pick up again in, in verse 27 there. said, so to this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Literally, it says, it is necessary for him to increase and for me to decrease. It is necessary for him to increase and for me to decrease. And this is the journey of maturity, or at least part of the journey of maturity uh, in, uh, in Christian life when it comes to agendas, right? When it comes to agendas and who gets to call the shots, it is necessary for Jesus to increase and for me to, to decrease. Now, there are all kinds of increases and benefits that, that come from being a part of what Jesus is doing and, and, uh, and submitting to, to his increase, right? An incredible bigger family. I love the church family that I'm a part of. I love you guys, and it's, uh, it's an incredible benefit and increase for me. On top of that, we get wisdom from his word and, and leading from his spirit and, and a context and purpose for our gifts and the abilities to grow and flourish and, and hope and peace and joy and, and life and love. There's so much good that increases as we submit and follow Jesus. But when it comes to who's in charge, when it comes to who gets to make the decisions, who calls the shots and who sets the agenda, it is necessary for Jesus to increase, for Scott to decrease. It's necessary for, for Jesus to increase and for Alan to decrease. It's necessary for Jesus to increase and for you and your inclinations and your biases to decrease. That's mature humility in Christ. And one of the keys to humility, at least in this passage, is to understand your role to understand your role. And it's easy to get this confused, especially when you've had success in certain areas. It is really easy to start thinking that, that your success in one area means that perhaps you should be a leading voice in another area. Um, and uh, and it's, it's 
easy to kind of start to oversell yourself. As they say down south, where I spent nine years, uh, easy to get too big for your britches, so to speak, right? Um, to think that your role is different than what it is. And it's a source of, honestly, of cringing to me sometimes uh, when I regularly see very intelligent people, I'm going to say some controversial names now, uh, very intelligent people from Jordan Peterson to Neil deGrasse Tyson, very intelligent people and everybody in between um, who have their areas of expertise but kind of get used by bigger forces uh, than them and uh, that try to leverage their influence for some other place where they're just smart people with an opinion. Just like most of us are smart people with opinions in the various areas where we have opinions, right? And they lose track of what their role is, where it is that they're called to make the big difference, right? Um, one of the keys to humility is to know your role. You'll be way more influential for good and for blessing if you understand your role. And it's not that you can't have opinions or stretch yourself as you grow, uh, grow into a new area, because sometimes you're called to step into a new area and to grow into it, but you gotta, you got to give yourself a chance to grow into it, man. Um, all of that's fine, but we're called to stay humble and to know our role, especially in the light of the lordship of Jesus. John understands his role. John the Baptist understood his role. He said it from the beginning. He was the one sent ahead of the Messiah to prepare the way. That was his role. His role was not to lead God's redemption. It was to prepare the way. And so he poured himself into that role with his camel hair clothes and his leather belt and eating the locusts and honey out in the middle of the wilderness and baptizing people in some kind of, of different and iconic kind of way. Um, and and as he, because he poured himself into his role and because he was so good at it, he was fantastic at it. He gathered a following. People started to like what he was doing. And, uh, and, and it, it allowed his status in certain sectors to grow, right? And when you're really good at your role, when you're really good at what you do, sometimes it resonates with enough people that you can get a following and people that, uh, that see your gifts and see your talents and, and, uh, and appreciate them and, and so on. And the uh, truth is, is that, uh, that we all have our, our place. And we should pour ourselves into the place where we have gifting and where we make a contribution uh, for, the, for the good of this world and for the good of the kingdom of God. But most good things have their seasons, but are temporary. They have their seasons, but they're temporary. They have a role in the human story, but, uh, the, which is God's story. But then the story moves on. Um, only Jesus is eternal. Only Jesus is eternal. Only the church is meant to last until Jesus comes back. And movements within the church and causes of various kinds and political agendas and the like, they have their place for a time. And if the Lord calls you into one of those areas, absolutely pour yourself into it with all that the Lord gives you to do. Do it, until, uh, do it unto the Lord. Uh, underneath his lordship and do it to your best and to your most. But let us not be people who make our role into the mission. Stay humble enough to know your role. As John says, you're not the groom, you're the groomsman, which kind of resonated with me. Uh, at my own wedding, I had four groomsmen. 
Um, uh, the, there were four guys that had meant a lot to me for, uh, for good portions of my life, and uh, really, really solid dudes. Um, at the wedding, unbeknownst to me, they pulled off a little bit of a, a stunt at a point in the middle of the wedding. Alan was the one who was uh, conducting our wedding at, at that point. And uh, when Alan asked for the rings, I turned to my best man to, to get the ring as we had planned. But he turned away from me and, uh, and then started talking to the guy next to them. And all of a sudden, the four groomsmen were huddled up together and they pulled out of their pockets some goggles and a little ball ping hammer. And, uh, and all of a sudden, in their little huddle, you heard the ting, 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 ting. Of, of metal against metal uh, and, uh, and so on. And that took, I don't know, 15 seconds or something. And then all of a sudden, my uh, best man appeared from the middle holding the ring up in the, uh, up in the air as if they had just made it right then. Um, and, uh, and it was great, right? It was funny and it was memorable and they played it beautifully. But it wasn't the point of the wedding, was it? wasn't the point of the wedding. It added fun and personality and, and a memory to the wedding, and they put some time and, and effort into that. But it wasn't the point. It wasn't the point. Afterwards, they got comments and, and attention, and people laughed and told them that it was great and so on. But they remembered they were not the point of the wedding, just like I was not the point of the wedding. Heidi was the point of the wedding, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I meant to say our marriage covenant was, uh, <laughs> that we were making together was the point of the wedding. And, uh, and so we pour ourselves into our roles, right? Uh, and uh, with the humility that we serve a bigger purpose, that we serve a bigger purpose, a bigger mission. The Lord has given us gifts and responsibilities, and he wants us to grow them to our fullest, to have the best understanding of him that we can have, uh, of his word, the best understanding of the issues of our day and how his word applies to the issues of, of our day. He wants us to be people full of wisdom and effectiveness and fruitfulness, right? But my role is not the point and your role is not the point and none of our opinions are the point. It's about Jesus. And so we're called to stay humble enough to know that, uh, that the thing we have poured our lives into, the area that we have poured our lives into, may very well serve its purpose uh, and be done long before we thought it should. Long before we thought it should. And it can feel like maybe we wasted our efforts, but it was never about us. It was never about us or our agenda or our project or whatever. And so we submit it to the purpose of the Lord and uh, allow it, like my buddy Jokic there, uh, the, the basketball player, to allow other people to be blessed and to flourish and, and to move on uh, with their roles, right? Because it's about the purpose of God and he's the one that gets to call the shots. And like John, if we know our role, the role that we played when it's done, um, when it's done its job, the Lord uh, has, has taken it. We can take great joy that, uh, that we played a part, that we had a contribution, and the kingdom of God continues to move. And we take joy in that. It is necessary for him to increase, for me to decrease. The writer of the Gospel of John, not John the Baptist, but the writer, reflects on this at the close of this passage in at the end of chapter 3, starting in verse 31. Here's what he says. He says, the one who comes from above 
is above all. The one who's from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. That's us. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. Thank God. He gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on Him. It's about Him increasing. The one from above is above all and testifies to what he sees, right? The one who's from the earth speaks as one from the earth. And as we move forward as a church in this age of incredible information and of incredible misinformation, how are we going to decide to proceed in the midst of the issues and the pressures and the agendas of our time? It can't be any of our opinions however well-informed we imagine them to be. Our informed gifts and our informed opinions will shape the journey, but the direction can only come from the one who is above all. The rest of us speak as those who are from the earth, limited by our finiteness and blurred by our biases. The story of history is a story of God. About story about God who's revealed most fully in Jesus. And we have to keep coming back to his word. We as a church of Christ, it's one of the things that I, I'm so proud of as our church, right? We honestly do our best to try to understand the fullness of what scripture is saying so that we can respond faithfully in our time. But the foundational decisions will always have to be grounded in scripture and what he says rather than what I think, right? An understanding of scripture and spirit an understanding of Scripture and Spirit, an understanding of Scripture and Spirit, and where Scripture and Spirit align, this is where God is moving us. The one who comes from above sees more than I can see. He has a better view. He is the one who, who looks and sees the trajectories of all of human life and knows the part that we're supposed to play in the bigger picture. And so in humility, we will always come back to Jesus. We will always come back to him and his character that arises out of who he is, the morality that rises out of who he is, with the terms of discussion defined by our best understanding of Scripture's witness to who he is. Because he must increase. We get lots of benefit, but it's not about us, and certainly not about my agenda or your agenda, right? And we need not mourn those situations that we have poured ourselves into, um, and, and the mission has, it's done its work, and the mission's kind of moved on, right? Instead, we take joy in the privilege to play a part in God's ongoing story of redemption in this world. It was never about us, and so it's okay for us to decrease individually. So as the kingdom of God and his church uh, and the name of Jesus continue uh, to increase. And there's a peace and a freedom in the reality that John the Baptist understood so well, that it was never about him. 
And so we take our cues from Jesus because it is about him and Jesus and his way and his truth and his life will increase and we get invited into that by the sheer grace of God for which we give thanks. Let's pray. Lord, you know that, um, that power is seductive for us. And you are a God of power. It's just that, Lord, we, we see as earthly people. And we want to confess that, uh, that the way we, we often do power is, is not of you. Thank you, Lord, that you see underneath the, the bluster that we sometimes have down to, to the real issues of our heart. This morning, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come. And in those places where, um, where we kind of desire to, to have our way and where we've kind of uh, maybe it, in some areas of our culture made it an us and them thing and all of this, Lord, help us to... Um, to look to you, to where you lead. Lord, help our, our um, views to more align with yours and not to try to force yours to align with us. Continue to call us back to your word. Continue to call us back to, to Jesus. <laughs> you have allowed so much in our lives to increase. And it's a blessing from you, and it's a sheer gift from you, and not what we've done. And so, Jesus, increase among us. Yes. Be lifted up. And, uh, and call us to the place where, we, where you've shaped us to, uh, to serve most fruitfully. And Lord, for any uh, here who felt, feel like they haven't found their place, we, I pray that... Uh, that you'd help us as a church to, um, to uh, be part of that journey so that, so that your kingdom as you intended can flourish as, uh, as people filled with your spirit who are made in your image uh, can be filled with your glory so that your glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. But it's your glory, Lord. It's yours. God, thank you for your word um, that sets us straight and that, that corrects our uh, wanderings, your spirit that, uh, that allows us to, um, to understand more and more and more what, what your word means for our time, what your character means for our time and what it looks like. Help us embody that, Lord. Help us embody that as a community, to embody that in worship, to embody that in the way that we reach out to others the ways that we can be a blessing to those in need. It all belongs to you, so we give it. In the name of Jesus, amen.